When people say something is surreal, they usually mean amazing, like a dream, or weird. None of which is what surrealism really means. So what does it mean? That's a tricky one. How about this for an explanation? Get out of there! Get out! Put your hands up! On your head! Do it! Get on your knees! Do it! What are you doing? Who are you? What's your name? What's your name? Jeffrey. Jeffrey what? Jeffrey, nothing. Huh? Exactly. To help answer the question properly, you have to go to Paris, all the way back to 1925, when a group of artists and poets got together to form an art movement. They called themselves Surrealists, and their new style of art was not about amazing dreams, but all about the irrational and spontaneous. In Surrealism, things happen not only suddenly, they happen without explanation. But what makes a thing ultimately surreal is that it is, at one and the same time, completely familiar and utterly unfamiliar. Strangely recognisable. In a word, uncanny. Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich. What makes it strangely recognisable is not the similarity, but the juxtaposition. I told you, I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd, and there's nothing I can do about it. The Surrealist puts something familiar alongside something unfamiliar. So what they present is something so unusual, so shocking and bizarre, it burrows right inside your head. First of all, Papa Smurf didn't create Smurfette. Gargamel did. She was sent in as Gargamel's evil spy with the intention of destroying the Smurf village. But the overwhelming goodness of the Smurf way of life transformed her. And as for the whole gangbang scenario, <laughs> I, it just couldn't happen. Smurfs are asexual. They, they don't even have reproductive organs under those little white pants. You can trace a lot of surrealist imagery back to a single painting by the Spanish artist Salvador Dali. I'm talking about the one with the melted watches. Now, who in real life has ever seen a melted watch? But we have seen a ripe slice of camembert that can drip and drool all over your cheese plate. Watches and cheese, that is the juxtaposition. And the more sudden and unexpected the juxtaposition, the better, because sometimes it is the juxtaposition that makes it look so normal. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dali's painting is called The Persistence of Memory. And while it is, well, memorable, if not unforgettable, it is worth noting that Dali was not only a painter, but also a filmmaker. He worked with Alfred Hitchcock on the 1944 psychological thriller Spellbound. He devised that film's dream sequence. And then later, he worked with Walt Disney on a full-length animated feature film, which sadly was never completed. But over a decade earlier, in 1930, he co-directed a film that is quite easily one of the most influential films ever made. His collaborator on the film was another Spaniard, Luis Bunuel, who went on to become one of the world's greatest filmmakers. And that's not just my opinion. No less a towering talent than Alfred Hitchcock called Bunuel the best director in the world. And with such praise, we shouldn't be too surprised to find some surreal moments in Hitchcock's films. Are you supposed to be meeting someone here? Waiting for the bus. Do any minute. 
Some of them crop duster pilots get rich. They live long enough. Yeah. Then, uh, then your name isn't Kaplan. Can't say it is, because it ain't. Here she comes, right on time. That's funny. What? That plane's dusting crops where there ain't no crops. Picture that scene. A polite advertising executive is standing in the middle of nowhere, and suddenly a plane attacks him. Anyway, Bunuel and Dali collaborated on a film called Unchian Andalou. It lasts only 17 minutes, but you will never see an image so visceral, so severe, so unforgettable as the one you witness in the film's opening seconds. So unforgettable is that image, I would argue that cinema has been recovering ever since. What is that image? It is an intense close-up of an eyeball as a razor blade is drawn across it and slits it open. Now that is juxtaposition. Two completely familiar objects coming together in a completely unfamiliar way. That is surrealism. But the amazing thing about the image is that it does more than just shock. It is an assault on the very act of looking. And let's face it, that is the primary activity of watching a film. Without your eyes you can't see. And here is a film that is an assault on that very organ. And ever since then, we've had a host of films that have examined the very act of looking. But cinema is not just about pictures, it is also about editing those images together. Or can I say juxtaposing them? In other words, editing. Cutting. Get it? Here's another example of the influence Bunuel had on Hitchcock. Think of the image I just described, and then think of the opening credits to this film Hitchcock made in 1958. Credits for Vertigo give us a close-up of Kim Novak's face, and when it comes time for Hitchcock's credit, his name cuts right across Novak's eye. Here are a few more movies that attack the eyes. Then I noticed, in all my pain and sickness, what music it was that, like, cracked and boomed. It was Ludwig van. Ninth Symphony, Fourth Movement. What's wrong? Your eye. What about it? What? Something black in the green part of your eye. Oh, it's um, it's a flaw in the iris. Flaw? Yes. It's a sort of birthmark. All I'm trying to tell you is that I'll have to remove your eyes completely. And I have to replace them with new ones. I know that, but I want to keep the old ones. Why? Because my mother gave them to me. So, while few films can be labelled genuinely surreal, there are many examples of films that have used surrealist imagery to really disturb the audience. Of all the genres best suited to surrealism, the most obvious is science fiction, where the world is rendered so strangely familiar, you might end up asking yourself, do androids dream of electric sheep? And just do eyes. Just eyes. Genetic design. Just eyes. You and Nexus, huh? I design your eyes. Sure. 
If only you could see what I've seen with your eyes. And then you have horror, where a man decides to have a suit made out of human skin. Don't you feel eyes moving over your body, Clarice? And don't your eyes seek out the things you want? Put horror and science fiction together, and you get something like this. Seems dead enough. Well, good. Let's get rid of it. Ripley. God's sake, this is the first time that we've encountered a species like this. It has to go back. All sorts of tests have to be made. Ash, are you kidding? This thing bled acid. Who knows what it's going to do when it's dead? I think it's safe to assume it isn't a zombie. Remember, this is the movie in which a man gives birth to an extraterrestrial. But all those films are in English. You may wish to head off and look at some foreign language films such as Amelie, Delicatessen and City of Lost Children by Jean-Pierre Jeunet and Pan's Labyrinth and Cronus, directed by Guillermo del Toro. But for me, the best in recent years is this one. Do I know you? Do you ever shop at Barnes & Noble? Sure. That's it! Yeah. I've seen you, man. Book slave there for like five years now. Oh. Jesus. I would thought I would remember five you. Years? It might be the hair. What might? It changes a lot, the color. That's why you might not recognize me. So, the next time you're waiting in line at the cinema, ask to see the head octopus. You know, the one with the orange painted briefcase and tricycle. It's in 3D.